Perfect. Well, good morning. Hey, I just I have to say that we put China and Josh in kind of a hard spot this morning. My wife was usually up here helping to lead, and she woke up and couldn't even talk. Um, as a husband, I don't know if that's a blessing or not, but um, she's going to see this, and I'll get on to that. Um, but, man, I am so thankful for those two that they just stepped up this morning, and they did a wonderful job um, just leading us to the throne. And so I'm very, very grateful um, that God has blessed us with people. Um, that can just step in and, and do that sort of stuff. We have been talking about God's grace um, for the last couple of weeks. There, there's no favorite subject that I have. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I, we're not even touching the surface of all that grace does, and, and we won't. It's so grace is that unfathomable, um, never empty, always flowing from God, and it is something that we will spend eternity trying to figure out how we got it and why we deserve it and, and how God just brings it to us. And so um, I, I'm amazed by grace. Um, I am marked by grace, and I love that we are talking about grace. Um, last week we, we dove into um, the idea that grace is, is more, not being paralyzed by grace, but grace is more than just forgiveness. And it's so sad to me that that's kind of what we have, like, kind of boiled it down to, is that grace is just, okay, I'm forgiven, and it's that, and I go on, if I mess up, then more grace and this and stuff. But grace transforms us. It is the thing that changes us and brings us into Christ's image. It is the thing that changes everything about our lives, our direction, our attitudes, and all of that. And it's my heart and joy is that we, as we move into Easter, I think we understand Easter a lot more when we understand what grace should actually look like in our lives. And that's, so that's why we've been going um, through all of this. And so this morning, I want to talk a little bit about humility which sounds like counterproductive if you're talking about um, humility, but um, how humility is tied with grace and actually getting more grace and that it brings grace. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 2. Um, if you do not have a Bible, we have them everywhere. And so just grab one. If you've lost yours or you don't have one handy, then um, just go ahead and take ours, put your name in it. If you like using electronic devices, we have Wi-Fi here. It says GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, and you can follow along there. Um, but at this church and wherever I'm going to be a pastor or wherever I'm at, I know one thing for sure. I don't know a lot of things, but I do know one thing for sure. Is these are the only words that matter this morning. Um, this is the only authority I have. Um, to stand up here. It's the only authority we have to be a church. It's the only authority I have to stand up every Sunday and speak to you and, and preach to you. And so I, I don't know what your background and not make you feel uncomfortable or anything, but if you would with me out of respect and out of acknowledgement of the authority's words, if you'll stand with me as we read in Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 3. Paul writes this. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but for the interest of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. 
to the glory of God the Father. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you for this morning. God, I thank you. You knew everyone that was supposed to be here, and you brought them. God, you knew everything that's supposed to be said today. You know everything that's supposed to be done today. And so, Father, I just ask that you just move me out of the way. God, move us all out of the way. Whatever's going on for our lives, Father, would you quiet the voices that distract? Would you quiet the things that are trying to pull us aside? God, and may for this, the next few moments, Father, may we just be overwhelmed by your presence. God, I thank you that we don't have to ask for you to join us, that you were here before we ever got here this morning. And that, Father, you have something for us this morning. So I pray, God, first and foremost, that these would be your words, not mine. And, God, that you would give us ears to hear and that you would give us hearts to respond and you would give us the courage to live it out. God, that we would be different because we were in your presence today. That we would leave here changed. So, Father, whatever needs to happen, let it happen today. God, whatever needs to be dealt with, let it be dealt with today. But, God, may you get the glory. May it be all about you. May you have your way. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I, I want to say this on, on, on the whole start of this, the idea that humility brings grace. And, and, and I want to say this, that we don't earn grace. Whoop. It jumped a bunch. Okay. Um, we don't earn grace. Remember, we, we know the whole verse. I am saved by grace is a gift of God, not by works as any man boast. And so we understand that this is something we don't earn. There's something they want to do. But I believe there's a path to more, that we don't experience the fullness of graces without humility. And let me tell you something. It is hard to be humble. You know, if you're like me, if I'm aging myself, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I get better looking each morning <laughs> you know the old glenn campbell song yeah and, and but that is kind of the 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 cry of our heart really of who we are and, and and this idea of being humility and i think we've misconstrued humility of what it is humility is not us looking down and saying i'm a horrible terrible person it, it's a different thing it's the idea that i know that i can't fix what needs to be fixed in my life. And so I have to come humbly. In fact, there's a direct link in Scripture from grace to humility. In fact, it starts in Proverbs all the way back in the Old Testament. Um, it says, he mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. Speaking of God, he mocks those who mock, but gives grace to the humble. It may sound a little bit more familiar in the New Testament when James says it. He says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There is this idea that we have to come to God saying, basically, you're God and I'm not. Even though that has been in us since the fall of man. This idea of pride and this idea that, man, I can take care of myself. We live in a culture, in, in, in Western culture, especially in the United States, and the culture, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You make the man, you make yourself the man that you want to be or the woman you want to be. If you work hard enough, you can get, achieve everything. And I think all those things are good. I believe in hard work. That's the reason that I do this, and I spend 40 hours a week as a security officer in Universal Studios. I love this because I can look at you and say, you need to share the gospel in, in your area and you need to be there where God has you working and share the gospel and live out your faith because I have to do it all the time. So I, I'm in it with you. 
It's not some pastor that's going to sit up in an office somewhere. I'm in it with you. But the idea that, man, grace and humility are so tied together that we have to come and say, you know what, God, I can't do this without you. And it is all tied to that. And I think that's one of the things that we've we've kind of lost in the idea of this idea of grace. And I don't know about you, but I could use more grace every single day. (laughs) I could really use more grace. And I believe there's a biblical kind of formula on how we do that and how we experience the fullness of grace and its humility. And so that's really, really, really where I want to sit today that I feel that God gives grace four times in the gospel. Jesus, more than four times, but main, four main times he talks about he who humbles himself. He who humbles himself. And so we're going to be jumping around a little bit in, in our Bibles and, and everything. But I, I want to give you four things that he says to lay aside that will give us a pathway to experience even more of what grace can do in our lives and that transforming work of us becoming more and more like Jesus. And so the very first one, the very first one is this idea of laying aside greatness for dependency. That we would lay aside greatness for dependency. Turn to Matthew 18. Starting at verse 1. All the disciples are with Jesus, and it says, I'm sorry, in verse 1, it says, And at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, So who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child and, and had him stand among them. Truly I tell you, he says this, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, this one is the greatest in, king, in the kingdom of heaven. We, we get this idea that for me to be great, I have to become less. That is the opposite of everything our culture is telling us today. Because we are all challenged. You know, I, I've, I've been, I played football growing up. I was in the military and stuff. And it's all about, like, be the very best, be the greatest of all, be the greatest of all. But if I'm depending on myself, I have such limited resources that I'm never really going to be great. You know, for those of us have kids or have had kids and the little tiny kids, you know, the best thing in the world, the best feeling in the world is when you just reach out that hand and that little kid grabs your hand because they're totally dependent on you. That's how our faith should look with God, because everything we get is from him and it's for him. We really don't do anything of worth or anything of lasting on our own. And then one of the privileges of my life and one of the great things of my life is I've got to travel all over the world. When we were in the military, we lived in Europe for a number of years. I got to see all this stuff. We were in Sicily and we got to walk around the ruins. I know I've told you this before. You know why they call them ruins, right? Because they're ruined. <laughs> They're all falling down. Everything that man has built to make a name for himself is falling down. Every great civilization, every great culture has gone away. There's only one kingdom that lasts, and that's God's kingdom. And so for us to to say, man, I'm going to be great, but instead to step to God saying, God, if I'm to be great, I need to be dependent wholly and completely on you, just like a child. Now, now, listen to me. There's difference of us depending on God like a child and staying 
like a child with God. <laughs> we talked a little bit about that last week, that the goal of Christianity, the goal of Easter and the resurrection is not so that we could get to heaven one day, it's so that we would be reformed and reshaped into the image of Christ. Heaven's just an extra. It's a side benefit. And so we should be growing and we should be maturing, but we can't do that unless we put our dependency wholly and completely in God. And guys, that takes humility. That was perfect timing. <laughs> that was the exclamation point. That was amen, electronic amen. But we, 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 really, we really can't. And that's, that's hard here. Listen, I was raised in the South. I, I, my, my father was a West Virginia hillbilly. Uh, good old Southern women, good old Southern cooking. As you can tell, I've, I've never gone without a good meal <laughs> or any meal, apparently. <laughs> and I was always told, it's, it's, you have to take care of it. You're the man of the house. You have to do all this. You have to do that. And, and, and so, you know, as a pastor church, like it, it's on you to see the church grow and everything. No, it's not. It's on God. And so that dependency, man, that that takes a little bit of humility to come in and saying, God, I can't do this without you. In fact, that's what Jesus talks about. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. But we also hear the verse, in Christ, I can do all things. See, the difference is in Christ. And that takes humility for us to say, I can't do it on my own. So we lay aside greatness for dependency. Jesus, once again, he says, again, uh, he says, let's lay aside recognition for serving. Now, we, we all like recognition. We all like to be pointed out, like I love pats and back. I'm a pastor, and most pastors, if you know that, are pathetic people pleasers. We are P-squared. We, like, we don't like it when people are upset with us. We like it when people come up like, that was a good sermon, Pastor. And we like that. And every time I say that, people always feel bad as they leave. Like, I don't want to tell you it was good, but we like the sermon. And so I'm not telling you that. But we like the recognition. We live in a culture of recognition. The awards, the accolades. I mean, look, everybody watches the Oscars. Everybody watches the MVP. Everyone watches the Grammys. Everybody wants it because that's how we recognize people. And we all live for the recognition. But in Christ's kingdom and in this kind of culture that God has called us into, it's not about the recognition. It's about serving others. In fact, that's what he says in Matthew 23, 11 and 12. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbled himself will be exalted. Are you getting the theme here? Whoever humbles himself will be blessed. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, I want to see this church succeed and grow, and I, I love that. And people's like, well, you don't want to be a mega church? I'm like, I want to be whatever church God wants me to be. If that's 1,000 people, 10,000 people, awesome. If that's 10 people, then that's why, because it's not about me. And it's not about Grace Baptist. See, because this church is going to go away. One day, we read it already. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's when we're in one church. He's the pastor, and I'm the door greeter. And I can't wait for that day. Because the only kingdom that lasts in all the universe is God's kingdom. And so if I'm all about exalting myself, I ask pastors this all the time. I've lost pastors that, as friends all the time because I'll ask a simple question. Whose kingdom are you building? 
And I have to challenge myself with that all the time. Am I about God's kingdom or am I about my kingdom? Because my kingdom is going to fall. And so we lay aside greatness and we lay aside, um, we lay aside this, this dependence, uh, this greatness for dependency, and we, we lay aside recognition for serving. But Jesus goes on and he gives us more. The next thing is we lay aside thirst for honor for the honor of others. Think about that for a second. It's kind of like the recognition, but this idea that, man, I want to be honored. I want to be recognized. I want, you know, I want to be lifted up. But what would happen in this world if we actually did what we read in Philippians? Other, esteem others greater than ourselves. Can I tell you, I believe racial tension, all the horrible things that are going on in this planet and in our culture would go away if we started looking at others as more important than ourselves. Instead of pushing my agenda and push that. Look over at Luke 14. Luke 14, verses 10 and 11. Jesus says this. He's teaching his disciples about humility. And he says, and, but when you are invited somewhere, go and recline in the lowest place. So the, the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For everyone, else, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Are you catching this theme? Because if you don't know a lot about what happened in the culture back then, if you were a religious leader like a Pharisee or a Sadducee, then you got the best seat in the house. And you expected that. You expected that place of honor, that special seat, the special parking place, you know? You know, that's what we joked about today. We said, we need to put up visitors-only parking. I said, as soon as we get pastor-only parking, I'll put up that sign. (laughs) (laughs) But we want the best plot and best seat. And Jesus is saying, no, no, don't put yourself. Listen, if you try to honor yourself, that's as much honor as you're going to get. But if you allow God to honor you and God to exalt you, it is unlimited in what can happen. There's a huge difference. I want to be seen. And man, we live in a culture that it's all about being seen. And our appearances more than what's really happening in our heart. I tell you, the church should be, the church is a place full of broken, dirty, torn up people. And if we can't be honest here, then folks, we can't be honest anywhere. It's not about being honored. It's about, man, how can I let go of something? You know, we, we get our seats and we get our pews and we have our things like this is where I sit. I've been at a church where someone pulled me over and says, Pastor Tony, come over here. Those people sat in my pew. You need to move them. I'm like, no, you need to find a new seat, probably at a new church. Because it's not about honoring ourselves. It's about that humility that says, God, you get the honor because is there anything else in all the universe that deserves more praise, worship, or glory than God? Or any praise, (coughs) worship, and glory than God? I've talked to people and like, well, God's kind of like stuck on himself, isn't he? Because he wants all the glory. It's not stuck on himself. He deserves it. 
There is nothing else in this universe that deserves glory other than God. He's always been perfect. He made a perfect creation. We're the ones that messed it up. And so there's nothing that deserves more honor than God. And so if that is our goal and that is our heart saying, God, I know what I am. I am a sinner saved by grace. I love I love Newton. And he said, there's two things I know. It's my favorite quote of him. The man that wrote Amazing Grace. He says, I know I am a great sinner. And I know Jesus is a great Savior. Man, that's how we live. And we honor ourselves. And when we do that, man, we start understanding more and more about grace. And, and the grace that it is. Last one is we lay aside self-assessment. And depend on God's mercy. This is a big thing for those of us that have been around the church for a while. Look over at Luke 18. Just turn a page or so over in Luke 18. Jesus is telling this story. In verse 9 he says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this, like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see what's happening here? Man, we get so self-righteous, don't we? We're good about that in church. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. <laughs> I mean, God, look at me. It's like, it's like we believe in this weight and scales. Listen, the good news about Christianity and faith in Christ it makes it different from every other thing. Every other belief system has that weight and scales. Does my good outweigh my bad? Does my good outweigh my bad? What a horrible way to live. I am saved by grace. My good will, ne my good will never outweigh my bad, but Jesus' good was good enough. That's all I need. That's all I need is that his righteousness comes on me. And my sin went on him on that cross. We got to stop justifying and self-assessing. Well, look how good I am. I had a friend, my first boss at ministry when we lived overseas. Man, we would be in places like Romania and everything in some of the poorest parts of town. And just seeing people struggle and huffing glue and just, the, just horrible stuff going on. And he would walk by him. He says, except by grace, so go I. If it weren't for the grace of God, that would be me. How soon we forget what God saved us from. And so we need to stop that. We need to depend on God's mercy in our lives and be thankful for it every single day. I love Lamentations. His mercy is new every morning. Every morning it's new. And so this is how we experience the grace, see, because I believe all my heart, humility brings God's mercy to us. Humility does that for you. And if you don't know this, there's this, this story. 
in the Old Testament. That actually humility will turn God's head to us. Back in the Old Testament, back in, um, in 2 Chronicles, there was a king called Manasseh. This was a bad man. This was a very bad man. He was a wicked king. Man, he, he sacrificed everything, including children and all kinds of stuff. He did everything that you could think would be horrible and stuff. He did that. He was a bad, bad man. But he comes to God in humility. Second Chronicles 33. And I challenge you this week, go and read that whole chapter. Read that story of Manasseh. And, and read it. But just, just to get you to, to the point, Second Chronicles 33, 12 through 13, it says, And when he was in distress, talking about Manasseh, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and earnestly humbled himself before God, the God of his ancestors. He prayed to him, and the Lord was receptive to his prayer. He granted his request, brought him back to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. So Manasseh came to know that the Lord is God. Well, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what goes on when we humble ourselves. Because here, here is this, this, this idea that, man, this is a horrible person, and yet God still turns his head towards us. And I think there's some lessons we need to learn from Manasseh, from the Old Testament, too. By the way, if you sit here this morning and say, well, I'm a New Testament Christian, then you and I don't know the same Jesus because it's the whole book or it's none of it. <laughs> It all comes together. You know, I like my daughter's church. They don't say this is a book. It is a collection of books, all pointing to one person, Jesus Christ. And, and so we, we need to understand a, a couple of things. First of all, humility is the sail that captures grace and mercy. Anybody a sailor? Anybody been sailing before? I'm, I'm, I'm not. I was an Army guy. I make fun of Navy guys and stuff. But, but the truth is, is that sail without the wind filling it in and stuff, you, you're not going to go anywhere. You ever been on a lake when just the wind was dead and you're just sitting there going, okay, we'll wait. <laughs> it's the same thing in our faith. Humility is the sail that captures that grace and, and mercy and, and everything. And I, so I think there are, there are four lessons that we can learn from, um, from Manasseh. The very first one is even in the midst of gross sin, God still speaks. Can I tell you some really good news? You were never too far gone. No one is unredeemable. I don't care what you've done. I mean, if you want to sit here and like compare notes and stuff, somebody, I'm going to beat you. <laughs> but you're never too far gone. Even, even in, in deep, dark, desperate, totally as far away from God, God still speaks like he spoke to Manasseh. Second thing, God knows how to humble us. He knows exactly what he needs to do because Manasseh prayed that prayer because God raised up an army against him. The Syrians, they came and took him and took him into prison and chained, they literally put hooks in him and dragged him away. And in the midst of that, Manasseh called out. And so God, I promise you, God knows how to humble you. He definitely knows how to humble me. He knows what needs to happen. There are some days, and I know it's cliche, but there are some days that God just needs to knock us on our back. So the only place we are is looking straight up. 
at him. And I pray we never get that far. But if you're like me, kind of pig-headed and stubborn, it happens more than we like. But I'm thankful that there's a God that loves me enough that he'll humble me. So I pay attention to him. Third thing, our heart can move God's heart. Did you know that? Here's this horrible king. Doing terrible things and he calls out to God. And God moves towards him. And then the last thing, our humble example impacts generations to come. You know, the humility we live out, the biblical humility we live out will impact others. There's a king that came after Manasseh, a grandchild named Josiah, that learned from his grandfather and saw what happened to his grandfather. And the greatest revival Israel ever saw was Josiah. In fact, it was the last revival until they were taken into captivity. The way you live out your faith and the grace in your life matters because they're watching us. They're watching us. So that's, that's Manassas. But the best example I have is Jesus. Our example. Turn back to Philippians chapter 2. Paul sets all this up. Humility about, you know, making others more important than ourselves. And everyone should look not only for his interests, but the interests of others. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Listen to these words right now. In Philippians 2, starting at verse 5, it says, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Copy him. Do exactly what he did. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Do you understand that when Jesus was on this planet, he was still fully God and fully man? That he had all the attributes, he had all the power, he had everything, and he chose not to exploit it, not to use it. When Satan tempted in the wilderness and he said, hey, make that stone into bread or jump off here and the angels will protect you or just, you know, become king by bowing down. He didn't, Jesus didn't have to die on a cross. He could have said, no, I'm not doing this. I'm just going to be in charge. And everybody else just goes away. But he didn't. He, he humbled himself. In verse 7, instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a certain servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. No worse way to die. You know, crucifixion stopped after the Romans. No worse way to die. And yet the creator of everything, the the one that was there in the beginning that spoke life and breathed life into all of existence, humbled himself, even to death on a cross. And because he did this, verse 9, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that beautiful? So listen, I'm going to tell you something. You can proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord right now. But there will be a day when you don't have a choice and you're going to do it anyway. There's a day coming where every person on this planet will bow a knee. And that day it's not by choice. But our example is Jesus who had every right, who had more right to get glory, to take power, to do whatever he wanted, 
No one. The Bible says that Jesus on that cross, he could have called down a legion, ten legions of angels and, and stepped down off that cross and said, no, enough is enough. And yet he humbled himself. How dare we become so prideful and arrogant that we don't follow suit? The same as our Savior. There's, there's a couple of warnings I want to give you in closing. Some warnings on pride. The very first one is arrogance. Sometimes we think we know it all, don't we? <laughs> Sometimes we think we know what's best. Sometimes we mix our faith with our politics and everything else, and, and we become so arrogant, and we think, like, ah, this is the way it should all work. Listen, the more I learn about grace, the less I know, figure out that I know about grace. The more I learn about God and Jesus, the more I figure out, the less I know. See, it's not good enough just to know. Knowing truth is not enough if it doesn't transform us. In fact, Paul talks about this. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, he was talking to the Corinthians. He says, now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. But knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. It's not good enough to know Jesus, know about Jesus, and not know him. And we have churches full of people that know all about Jesus and all about faith. But they have no idea who he is. You see, the grace of God transforms us. There should be fruit. There should be change in attitude and action and, and perception. Everything, there should be a change in everything that we do if the grace has taken hold of us. It's not good about just knowing. And we live in an arrogant society. We live in a society that says, man, I go to church. I'm a Christian because I'm American. I'm a Christian because I go to church. I'm a Christian. My parents were Christians. Only thing that makes you a Christian and a follower of Jesus is following Jesus. Not a political party, not a church, not a pastor, not a family member. It is between you and God. Arrogance is the first sign of pride because isn't, isn't that what the original sin was to begin with? I mean, even before the garden, isn't that what Lucifer said? I will become like the most high. I will take his place. That didn't work out real well for him. <laughs> and the same thing in the garden. You can become like God. You can know the difference between good and evil. You can control your own destiny. You can fix your own problems. But can I tell you something? We haven't fixed them yet in thousands and thousands of years. We still have the same issues. You know, everyone's saying like, oh, how bad it is. It has always been this bad. It will always be this bad until that day when Jesus comes and every knee bows. We, we can't fix it. And so arrogance is the other thing. The other thing is this whole idea is that we want more of us and less of God. It's about me. It's about what I do. Look at me. I'm a pastor. I should have like a bigger house than you when we get to heaven. I make fun of all my friends that are doctors and lawyers and said, I'm a liberal arts major. We get the bigger houses in heaven. You get the big house now, we get them later. But it's all about me. And it has nothing to do with me. I start this service as I start every service when I preach it. These are the only words that matter. My opinion means absolutely nothing. 
In fact, isn't that what John the Baptist prayed? Lord, less of me, more of you. That should be our pray, prayer every day. And I said, if it's becoming about you, then that should be a check and a red flag right away. It's about what I want, what makes me comfortable, what makes me happy, what appeases me. There may be a problem. And we live in that culture, don't we? Apple's made billions off of iPhone, iPad, i this, i that. Everything is i. It's about me. I want my I want my tablet to work just the way I want. I want the perfect camera. I want all this and stuff, the perfect house and all this. And then look at me. It's not about us. It should be more about God and less of us. Last thing we got to watch for is false humility. <laughs> this whole idea and, and you know those people. <laughs> you, you've heard them. Oh, shucks, I'm not any good. Yes, you are. You're great. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. You know, my wife and I have a joke. Like, we'll talk about it, and we'll talk. You know, like, man, you're beautiful. You're awesome. You're great. And, man, you're amazing. And she'll sit there like, huh, keep it coming. <laughs> so many of our churches listen it is so easy to talk about humility and saying it's all about God but if your life doesn't match it then it's just a lie false humility is us lying to ourselves it it is a masquerade and we've got to stop especially in the church we've got to stop making our churches masquerade balls every Sunday listen if you're hurting then hurt if life is hard then it's hard that's why we're all here together that's why I say there's no strangers in church. We're a family. Let's be honest once for all. I struggle with this. I, my wife gets on me because sometimes I'm too honest. I struggle with this. I struggle with the idea of like what success look like. I've wrestled with God all week of like what success look like. This many people at church, this, this, this position, at job, and, and all this stuff, this much money in the bank account. Do we buy a house? If we own a house, maybe that's it. And it's all these things that I, it's about me. And then it's so easy to come here and like, oh, shucks, you know, just just lower your head and walk through life. That's what I do. No, I have a problem. Pride is my thorn. I struggle with it. We all do. It doesn't make it any better when we're just like, oh, do you think I'm okay? Am I a good person? Pat me on the back. That's false. That's a lie. Listen, the truth about humility, C.S. Lewis probably said it best. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Hear that again. <laughs> humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. That type of humility experiences grace. In the way it was always supposed to experience it. It transforms you. It's not making yourself dirty. We talked about this last week. Just because of grace, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. No, you're not. You were saved by grace. My Bible says he became sin that we would become the righteousness of God. Which means when God looks at me. So if I ask the question right now, how many righteous people in here? Raise your hand. Everyone should raise your hand if you know Jesus. Because you are a righteous person in God's eyes. You are covered by the blood. And that's all he sees is the forgiveness. 
We are righteous. We are holy because God makes us that way. The challenge is that we're catching up to that because God always sees that. And for the rest of our lives, we're going to be transformed and moved towards that perfection. But right now, right at this moment, God looks at you. If you know Jesus, if you are living for him and you're in obedience to him, he looks at you and he says, perfect already. It's not thinking less. It's not it's about it's not about me at all. You know what I pray every single week, church, for this church? God, if I am the person that's in the way of this church being more fruitful, more impactful, then remove me. Because it's not about me or my kingdom. Or a book deal someday because I'm a great church planner. It's about his kingdom and it's about the people that so desperately need hope that are right outside our walls. So this morning I challenge you just to take some inventory. There's two things that we can leave here. A humble heart paves the way for greater grace. A prideful heart does the opposite. Which describes your heart today? Is it all about you? Or is it about whatever God says? Whatever God wants? Wherever it is? Whatever sacrifice, whatever thing, whatever needs to happen. God, would you just do your work today? Will you pray dangerous prayers? God, search my heart. If there's anything that's not of you, then show me, remove it. Will you wake up Monday morning before you go to work or go on your vacation, whatever you're doing, and say, God, no matter what happens today, may people see you and me today. May it be about your kingdom today, not mine. May it be about your pleasure, your enjoyment, not mine. Where's your heart today? Where's your heart? Listen, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what's going on. But I would pray, as right after I pray, that you would just take time, just say, God, show me my heart. I dare you to pray that prayer, God, search my heart this morning. And have the courage to listen to what he says. Listen, I believe it's a waste of time to go to church and not leave changed. Every Sunday. Because I think we come in God's presence. And it changes us. It is a waste of time to walk out those doors and saying, well, that's a good sermon. Check off. I'm good for the week. I mean, there's so many more things you can do. I mean, we got Disney and Universal Studios right down the road. If you got there early enough, you wouldn't have to get a fast pass. I know, not your normal pastor. <laughs> but I believe God calls us to be changed, and he changes us by his grace. And it changes when we come to him in humility, not pride. Let's pray.